Hi, and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the best soul and R&B music throughout the decades. Today, SoulMusic.com founder David Nathan and distinguished entertainment journalist Janine Coveney, former R&B music editor at Billboard magazine, talk about the legendary duo Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson whose six years with Warner Brothers Records produced several timeless classics included on the Hits, Rarities, and Remixes collection, such as Don't Cost You Nothing, Send It, and Stay Free. So let's join David and Janine for their insightful reflections about Nick and Val's impact as cultural trendsetters through their superb recordings and distinctive live performances throughout the 70s and beyond. Hi, Janine. How are you? Hi, David. How are you today? I'm so excited about our show today. Yes, yes. This is one of those podcasts that, you know, really, really means a lot to me. And, and I know it means a lot to you because we both chose to do it. Um, yep. And, um, you know, without further ado, as they say, uh, our subject today is um, based on a particular album a compilation that was put together a few years ago um, by Ashford and Simpson called Hits, Rarities, and Remixes. I think that's the correct sequence of the title. And I know that when you and I were talking about different um, uh, artists and different albums that we would want to talk about, um, this, of course, is not the entirety of, of Nick and Val's career at Warner Brothers, but it is at least gives a, a flavor of some of it. And it's a good excuse, if we needed one, to talk about um, the legacy of music that Ashford and Simpson recorded at Warner Brothers. Absolutely. And as you said, this album gives uh, a, a, a taste of what they're so well known for, their musicality, their performance, their songwriting, and their production skills as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we get a big taste of that. And I know, David, we, they're favorites of both of ours for yes. these reasons. And I know that you in particular have some very personal memories of uh, Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson that I know you want to share with us. So tell, tell I us do. about that. I do. I know. I mean, it's pretty obvious that we did a little prep work on this conversation, and that's fine because I, I do really want to uh, say something about that. So um, just to set the scene for you, Janine, and for those who are listening, um, you know, when I was um, in, in London in the early 70s, and um, you're know, writing, beginning my blues and soul journey, so to speak. Um, I remember one of the one of the exciting things for me was doing a phone interview with Valerie Simpson uh, when she had two albums out on uh, Motown. Actually, it was I think around the I'm not sure if it was around the first one. It might have been a, her first solo album, which I absolutely loved. I mean, I it was called Exposed, and I loved it song for song. I was like. Wow. And I was familiar with uh, Valerie as part of the Nick and Val team of songwriters and producers. Anyway, so the next, then there was, she had one, they had, she had one more solo album at Motown called Keep It Coming, I think it was called. And then on to Warner Brothers and this, I remember, Janine, I remember vividly when I first got 
a copy of Gimme Something Real, their first album for Warner Brothers, because it came in in Britain as an import because it had, wasn't released by Warner Brothers initially in Britain. And uh, I worked at uh, the shop was part of Blues and Soul that uh, imported. So when I got this album, I played it. I just played it so much. I loved it. And we are going to talk about some of the songs on there. So now, fast forward to October 1974. I'm going to New York on my first holiday, first time in America. And, you know, really was supposed to be just a holiday, but how am I going to be in New York? And here I am, this, like, fledgling blues and soul writer getting more assignments. How am I going to not want to talk to some of my favorite uh artists and in particular i said if there was a way i could do an interview with ashland simpson while i was there i was going to do it and i remember the photographer who worked with blues and soul set it up with um their now uh, uh, recently um deceased uh, assistant t t olsen and uh, and uh, here i was this kind of rookie british you know soul music journalist heading off to their brownstone on, uh, I think, West 72nd Street. I had never been to an artist's home in my life, and let alone, these are my hero, you know, Nick and Val, give me something real. I'm like, oh, and I was so nervous, Janine. I was so nervous. And I remember, I just remember, I could even see the the, the living room. There was a piano in it. And, um, you know, at the time, um, Valerie was pregnant, and um, and she wasn't she wasn't very talkative. I mean, you know, Nick did a lot of talking, and we talked about how they came to be at Warner Brothers and the album and so on. Anyway, so um, uh, fast forward to um, when I came to live in New York in February of 1975, and I think I interviewed uh, Nick and Val for pretty much every Warner Brothers they ha- album they had up until Stay Free. Uh, and I saw their performances. I thought they, I mean, I had personal favorite songs. Um, and it was just great to have seen, you know, that that transition from when I first met them. You know, they, they were growing as recording artists and performers. And I was growing as a, as a music journalist. So it was like a not quite the same journey. But you know what I'm saying? Like they were an integral part of my of my introduction to America. And, and, and I, you know, still have very cherished memories of, of that first interview and just all the conversations that we had subsequently. So it's really special for me to talk about uh, Ashford and Simpson. That is amazing. And in those interviews, did you get a sense of what drove them in their music? What was the inspiration? I mean, you hear the output that they had and yeah. You know, they were about love in their music. Did yeah. they talk about that? Well, yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, to the. I mean, that was pretty evident through the music they were doing even before they became quote recording artists. I mean, you have to you know listen to songs like you know the Motown songs like "Ain't Nothing Like uh, Ain't Nothing the Real Like thing. a Real Thing" and "You're All I Need to Get By." I mean, just your precious love. Um, Ain't no mountain high enough. I mean, you know, you know, and and, and, I mean, just to kind of go backwards again for a moment, uh, they uh, the album they did with Diana Ross, the second album she did, 
our second album was released, which had a uh, which was uh, Surrender. It was the main hit on this on the album was um, Remember Me. Remember me as a big balloon, <laughs> etc. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so I was already familiar with them as brilliant, you know, composers, producers, and yes, so love. You know, really was at the heart of all of that those songs. I mean, beautiful love songs, and 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 then I think you know Warner Brothers. I think they, it became a little bit more expansive in how they approached uh, love from a different place. You know, it wasn't all you know, wasn't quite as you know. How should we say? Like the, those early Motown songs were a bit more, um, you know, idealistic um, and romantic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly, Janine. And so I think that. Um, yeah, they, yeah, we talked about it, and we and we talked about a, 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 one of the things that really surprised me was that Nick was uh, almost always the primary lyricist, which I didn't know. I mean, I found that out obviously when I did that first interview with him in uh, in, in 1974, but became more aware in the conversations. Um, and yes, yeah, and, so, and, and and of course, Valerie contributed, but I think Val, Valerie was more, uh, you know, she said more the the composure in terms of melody. And right. I don't know the sequence. Some songs I think were born from lyrics, some were born from melodies. But yeah, yeah, and, and the fact that they had a relationship, like a real personal. I mean, they were married. Yeah, you know, the fact that that I think that also informed um, how their songwriting developed. Absolutely, because you see those Motown songs, those romantic, idealistic songs early in their career. But even as you listen to their their first Warner Brothers album together, they are writing about everything from the meeting to heartrending breakups, yeah. from yeah. obsession to longing for someone once they're gone. Yes, <laughs> yes give me yes, something yes. real. And, yes, yes. You know, and also what it means to to have love and be in love and and how the road isn't always smooth. Well, so no. they really knew how to capture all of the stages as they were going through those stages in, in their mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I know you and I, as we talked a little bit before uh, we, we started the podcast, you know, I did not know um, that Give Me Something Real was, was like a classic album for you. So let's find out from you. How, how do you. I know how I heard it. I know how I met them and so on. But how about your introduction to Give Me Something Real? Which was uh, not a massive album, was not a big Best-selling no. album, you know? Yeah. No. Again, I grew up in the Bronx with parents who were very interested in music. So they would often ask, like my father would ask his niece, who was in college, what new music was available to her? What should they be listening to? And mm-hmm. I think that that album, that Ashford and Simpson album, was one of their recommendations. I know I did not purchase it. I know it showed up mm-hmm. in the family album collection mm-hmm. and yes. from the moment that I heard it and we often played music in the house albums and albums on a yeah. Saturday um, yeah. while we were cleaning or Saturday night mm-hmm. or whatever and I totally fell in love with everything about them how they looked yeah. um, 
how they sang and interacted with one another. Here you have a male and female duo, and there had been male and female duos before, but how many African-American duos where the male voice was almost higher than the female voice, and it totally worked. They totally blended, and their songs, the lyrics had so much power and meaning. I mean, I, I listened to it and felt like I was learning how to love, what what it meant wow. to love, what to wow. value um, wow. in myself and in others. It, it was very, very powerful listening to them as a, as a young person, an adolescent, a young teenager. I, I was mm. just, oh, I was in love with them. Mm. Well, it's interesting because uh, I, 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 I can't quite relate to it. Quite the same way, because you know, as we know, her our slight, sl- slight generation gap, not a big one, but still enough of a generation gap that I was already, like experi- yeah, I, I was already experiencing the, uh, the, 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 uh, the uh, what do you call it, peaks and valleys of love, <laughs> and um, certainly um, that title track, uh, you know, give me something real, was very um, much what what at that point in my life I was wanting. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want, you know, this is what the song itself says, you know, uh, I hadn't been through what it sounds like they had been through. And, and, and that song, it kind of expresses, you know, you know, um, time to wait, put away, you know, childish things. I think it's something like that is one of the lines in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm quite in that place, but I was certainly knowing the difference between real and fake. I love in, that in the world of love, in the world of love, in the world that of won't love. fade in the light of day. I think the only track that's on the particular album that we're referring to that's on there is Have You Ever Tried It is on this hits, remixes and rarities. But let's move on to um, some of the other uh, pieces of music on there. And but also okay. the kind of progression of their career. Um you know, I think I think it's true to say, and, and I know that in interviews that I did with them after the re, after that first interview, you know, there was a certain kind of disappointment with the fact that those first few albums on Warner Brothers just did not really take off. They didn't take off to the degree that they had hoped, um, and and you know, they were putting some good music out, I and mean, there was no question about it. But it just simply didn't quite uh, resonate. And to be fair, you know, at that time also, I think that Warner Brothers was in the process of really getting itself much more grounded in the, in the world of, of um, R and B and yeah. And certainly dance music, which came a little later, but they weren't, you know, it was, it took a while before Nick and Val became like, um, even I would say in the world of R and B radio. And so they weren't, they weren't at that point um, staples, so to speak. They weren't like automatically every record they've got, People would add add them on radio, and and they were building their performance career. I think you mentioned to me about um, uh, them appearing on television. Did you actually see uh, the Ellis Hazlip show with uh, I, Soul with them on it? With them on it, I did not. But okay. I'm in the process of watching those Soul um, shows. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Um, well, of course, I didn't see them because, in a, oh, actually, no, because they predated my uh, coming to America. Um, yes. So I'm looking through the next the next album off that was uh, I Want to Be Selfish, which has one, they've used one track on this uh, 
collection that we talk about called uh, Everybody's Got to Give It Up, but I have to be honest with you, I don't really remember it. It's a rarity, as they say. And But by the time we get to album three, uh, we are talking about a couple of songs that started to really make impact on the dance music scene. Absolutely. And I want to talk to you about one in particular because I, I I want to check in with you if it's one of your favorites, which is Over and Over. Over and Over. Okay, let me stop. Oh, oh, oh. Hello, hello, hello. We, 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 get, we get previews of, of – uh, so if we, see, if we start singing one of these songs together, then we – you know, Right, the show will – yes. <laughs> but, yeah, Over and Over. Is that, is that an important song to you, or do you recall it? From I wouldn't say that it's an important song for me. I do remember it, but it wasn't one of my favorites in the pantheon of uh, Nick and Val songs from that period, although yes. I do I do have a memory of it. And, of course, I it, it resonated, re-resonated with me because I heard a version by Sylvester. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. I don't think he used all of the song in his remake. I don't remember no, him singing so. specific verses. It was more like the chorus, but I could be misremembering. Some of the verses are in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, some of the verses are in there. So the Sylvester version reacquainted me with it. I thought, I've heard this before. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay. And it was a but, massive hit from Sylvester. Massive. Yeah. 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 So and like many, many of those hot sack and silt songs from their publishing yes. company, you oh, know. Okay. Let's pause for a quick break. Then we'll return to David Nathan and Janine Coveney as they continue to discuss the 70s pioneering recordings of Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson. Check out In the Meantime by renowned trumpeter Willie Bradley featuring Gerald Alston, the lead singer of the legendary group The Manhattans. This jazzy groove with lyrics right on time with what's happening in the world today is on Soul Music Records, available now on all digital platforms. I think... Uh... Now we go on to something where I think by this time um, we we were at Send It, which has some fantastic. I mean, there's a few things that we could talk about on, on, on Send It, but um, before we get to that, do you remember when you first started seeing them perform live? Hmm, it would or have been on your career. I think it would have been on. Uh, television and then later okay. in their career. But one of the things that I enjoyed about them, of course, their stagecraft and they're so striking looking, yeah. you know, I mean, nobody looked like Nicholas no. Asher. I mean, nope. unless maybe Verdine White, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? Later. I think Verdine was a little later in his, uh, in his hair, hair stylings, but yeah, exactly. I gotcha. He yeah. was an original, and he was tall, and she was small, and mm -hmm. they just had this incredible chemistry together, mm -hmm. and they always looked, you know, they didn't, they looked fantastic. They were always very um, precise about their stage clothes and their moves, and they, from what I remember, they had very tight shows, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, you could still 
relate to every word that they sang. It was so much mm-hmm. about the message. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. And, yeah, um, I mean, Valerie is amazing. Well, so is Nick, really. He, they each had their own blended. style. They blended. Yeah, they, yeah. they blended. Yeah, that's very true. Well, there's a few songs on here that I really like to um, um, reference. And, and, and um, the, of course, the biggest hit on this album was uh, Don't Cost You Nothing. Oh, Janine's going to break out again, Mo. <laughs> I think we're going to have to turn my classic soul into uh, into the Janine live, uh, Janine, yeah. Janine live moments. <laughs> well, I have a much stronger memory of that song because mm. I think that it came out during my college years. And, you know, one's teen years and college years when you love to go to parties and dances and clubs. And, you know, you're listening to this music at fantastic volume. And I think um, that club period, because of the way the music was amplified when we were in these dance clubs and you could hear the all the intricacies of the instrumentation and how powerful the bottom was and the power of their voices, it, it left an indelible impression on me. And also, once again, their message. I mean, to me, a lot of their songs are not just about love. Oh, love, the world needs love, everybody needs love. They were totally insistent on the idea that we should all take a chance. It's taking a chance. And you have to be brave enough to take the leap. And that's what don't cost you nothing is about. It's a, it's an argument really. Mm -hmm. Um, every first is an argument for why not? Come on, let's go. Let's do it. Let's fall. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, uh, did you ever uh, find yourself in a position, a place where you uh, felt like that, t- saying that to someone, or have, or, did, or, or that someone would say that to you, like, "Hey, Janine, you know, you take a chance, you know, don't cost you nothing." Did that ever happen to you during your college years? I was Maybe not in so many words, but certainly when you when you have um, men, young men trying to catch the attention of young women, it's usually young men saying to the young women, "Take a chance on me; you won't be disappointed." Or maybe they don't say. Maybe you will be disappointed. But take a chance. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, take a chance just okay. for tonight, at least. <laughs> Yes. Okay. And then, um, you know, the couple of the songs on here, which are really kind of really major for me in terms of the history of the songs and also, you know, the impact. So, of course, there's Send It, which is the the title track. But for me, the the two most intriguing songs on here is there's a, 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 which is interesting, they use it on this rarities uh, CD package compilation that we we, we were referencing, Um, is a song called Top of the Stairs. Now, Top of the Stairs is kind of obscure, even for a lot of, I would say, American Ashland and Simpson fans. And it was actually recorded by another duo called Collins and Collins. Anyway, for whatever, in Britain, for whatever reason, Top of the Stairs by Ashland and Simpson became this, like, rare groove classic years later. Not, not at the time. But years later, and, and, and you know, kind of a, a, a great story, Janine, is at some point, uh, I'd say probably in the early, 
I want to say it was probably like maybe 2012 or something like that. Um, um, a colleague of mine brought Nick and Val to headline at a an event that happens every year or happens has happened in the, every year called the Luxury Soul Weekender, and it's usually held in a big hotel. And you know, it was quite a lot to bring Nick and Val because. They insisted, of course, that they brought their own musicians and background singers. So it was a big, you know, it was a prop, it was a big deal. But the one thing that the uh, the person who brought them to put them together for the shows insisted, you must sing Top of the Stairs. And Nick and Val had to learn it. They had never performed the song other than when they recorded it. And when they did the show that night, they said, you know, we want you all to know that we actually had to go back and learn the song wow. just for you all because this is not part of our repertoire usually and, and had never performed it. It's a great song. It's very catchy. And it's, again, as, again, like you said, it, every song seems to have this, a real different kind of message. Uh, I'll take you up to the top of the stairs. But the other thing is a song called Bougie Bougie. Now, Bougie Bougie on the, this album and also on the remixes, uh, collection is instrumental. Yes. And it's really Valerie playing piano and of course the whole production around it. Um, and it's very, it's, it's a great, great song instrumentally. And one of my they, favorites. Yes. And when they had um, Gladys Knight and the Pips do it on the one of the first albums that they did for Columbia, uh, which Nick and Val produced. Just like, wow. I mean, every word in that song, I mean, at the time period, you know, of everybody trying to be, you know, trying to be, trying to be right. bougie, you know, bougie, bougie. And I, I, you know, you like, you like, we can't talk about the lyrics because there's no lyrics on this version, but you know the song. Absolutely. And, um, you know, bougie was a popular saying back in that time to describe you know, this new class of affluence among yeah. African-Americans and, you know, being stylish and in the know. And and I just think it's funny that the song is called Bougie Bougie because it's, it's ex- it, instrumentally, it's extremely um, sophisticated and sleek yeah, well, yeah. and almost cinematic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it shows me what great producers Yes. They were as as well to, you know, the arrangements on all of their songs mm-hmm, are, mm-hmm. are really um, beautiful. Uh, you know, yeah. just intricate and and use the orchestra well and mm-hmm. um, incorporate Val's church influence piano playing really yeah. well. So yeah. there's a lot to appreciate them for. Um, yeah. And I don't yeah. think yeah. they get enough credit. Um, in the pantheon of of rhythm and blues, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Janine, because to me that is one of the um, uh, most under under recognized aspects of their work. I mean, if you just listen to the production, if you just took that one track, "Bougie Bougie," uh, and just listen to the intricacy of all the arrangement. Now, the arrangements they worked very closely with a, a, a man, a legendary man, who um, Really, they met in Motown, Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser from Detroit um, had been doing other arrangements on other uh, other music for Motown. 
before uh, he started working with uh, Nick and Val. Uh, and if you listen to those um, first couple of Diana Ross albums at Motown, those are Paul Reiser arrangements. And, um, you know, they continued working with him, obviously, at Warner Brothers. And so, all oh, the, you know, and, and I think there's a quote I have that uh, where, where Valerie says that, you know, she loved working with him because he re- she would lay down the demos of the songs. Yeah, and he would basically create the orchestrations uh, and arrangements around the demos. So by the time they go in the studio, I mean, just full-on productions, background vocals. I mean, it was just, I think that you, what you said is very much true. It's one of the things I love about the, their work is it's full, it's proper. It's it like full-on. It's like, you know, intricate. It's it, it, it's, 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 it's multi-layered. Yeah. yeah. There's strings, there's flutes, there's everything. Um, even in that one song we mentioned that, um, which one was it, that the people don't really know that well? Um, the stairs or, or one, I mean, no, I think it was album. One More Try. Yes, and yes, One More Try. try. It's, it's a very unusual for them in that they're singing together, but it has a Brazilian rhythm. Mm-hmm. Almost. And even that is amazing. Yeah, I think think you're correct. I don't know that people really necessarily uh, give credit to the creativity and the artistry of of Nick and Val on those albums. I mean, yes, they're the hits, which, of course, we're going to get into more in a moment about some of the later hits uh, at Warner Brothers. But really, I think the... um, that's what I loved about them. I really loved them, and I because I grew up listening to the kind of um, intricacies of music in, in like Bacharach and David, and later right. Tom Bell, and you know, and, and, and just others. I mean, just really that whole melding of different aspects of, of of music that makes it almost classical in some ways. Some almost a classical since you with orchestrations but anyway yes bougie bougie and and, and um, don't cost you nothing and top of the stairs and then i think by then you know i'm, I'm looking at um what happens next now the the main song on this album that is also on this collection is um it seems to hang on but the album of course is is it still good to you which was actually by at that point their best-selling album um uh, it's interesting that there's only one track from there that's on this remix collection. By this point, which would be, you know, 1978, I think, uh, were you fully uh, conversant with what the kind of work they were doing? Or more conversant, shall we say? <laughs> uh, fully, I, would say but... I would say more conversant with, with the work that they were doing. And um, I remember that there was definitely high regard for them among most of my friends who were into, into music. So people seem to wait for and fully embrace what the new album release was, what the new single release was, Mm. because there was that understanding, even at that time during the, during the seventies, there was an appreciation for the mix of, of rock and R and B jazz and R&B. There was a lot of fusion. There were a lot of new sort of jazz artists who were singing R&B and R&B artists who were flirting with jazz. And that seemed to be very popular. 
and Nick and Val seemed to skirt that wave. Yes, they were R&B, but they were also almost like Tin Pan Alley, but they were jazzy because of their instrumentation and you know they had amazing shows so people who were into stagecraft were into that and again you know unapologetically black and um you know not trying to be anything but themselves in their imagery so they were very popular and you know i was part of that waiting for the next song to come and the next dance floor hit because i was always about dancing yes well one thing i just want to also uh, just um take a take a note from what you just said, which is about their um, live shows. I mean, they, were, they took the same kind of professional approach that they took to recording and brought it to the stage. And, you know, I know that they work very, they work a lot with George Faison. Oh, um, yes. A good friend of theirs, choreographer. Did, yeah. I mean, they, they these shows were not just like thrown together. They were intricate put together the moves. I mean, that's what made them so compelling. As we want to see an Ashford and Simpson show because it isn't just like two people standing. I mean, there are duos who unfortunately were not quite so, um, you know, uh, how should we say, not quite so... Um, uh, what's the right word for this? Compelling to watch. Correct. Compelling to watch. Compelling to watch. So then we come on to what is absolutely my favorite Nick and Val album is still... This one, stay free. So let's hear from you because I got a few things to say about this album. Stay free has on it, you know, um, uh, found a cure, um, and of course, stay free title track. And nobody knows, nobody knows, nobody knows the inside. (laughs) So let's hear from you about how if this album resonated for you also. And I think, you know, it was obviously a massive uh, success, particularly amongst on the dance floors. Exactly. And you, when people want to dance, they want to, you know, they want to be in close proximity and ownership of the music that makes them happy. And that helped push this album. And of course, I feel like they, they hit their stride in terms of, connecting with that dance floor ethos, but at the same time, they weren't slaves to the disco sound per se, which was becoming very commercial and predictable. They did it their way and still managed to share their message, which is the all-consuming power of love and found a cure you know if you're in love newly in love you know i mean that idea of dr love or um, feel good or i'm gonna give you a little bit of that medicine so Uh we have a theme of of love being the cure and um you know it's an exciting uh, production it's it's a great record well, I have yeah. to tell you, uh, when I did the interview with Nick and Val for um, the Stay Free album, it actually, the thing I might have referenced at the beginning of this conversation, it took place in the same place we did our first interview. Uh, that was just four years, let see, five years before. And um, I remember my opening line when I sat down. He goes, by then we knew each other. And I said, now I've got to ask you a question. Um, 
when you put this album together, were you reading my mind? And they both looked at me and said, what? what? You know, I said, they, they grinned. I said, because particularly Stay Free and Nobody Knows. I said, it's like, almost like you went into my mind and pulled these songs out. And I tell you, Janine, I could not stop playing either of them. And even to this day, Stay Free is very much, well, both of those songs, Stay Free and Nobody Knows, are like really part of my, uh, the tapestry of my life, I would say. You know, re- I mean, take, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on them, but um, those lyrics for Stay Free. I know. Wow. Just listening to the project again and listening to those two songs after not having heard them for a long time, mm-hmm. I was stunned to hear Stay Free again. It, it's almost like I'm hearing the lyrics for the first time yeah. Yeah. and nobody knows because I'm a, you know, I'm an introvert. Yeah. And so I keep a lot of things inside and mm-hmm. You know, I've always kind of gone my own way. And yes. it's it's amazing to listen to those yes. songs. Yes. And, and 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 that's that's the magic of what they do is to get into the psyche of how we think, how mm-hmm. we see ourselves and how we see others and the barriers that we put up. I mean, I've I've mentioned this before in these songs really demonstrate it. They don't have much patience, I think, for people who want to walk the lonely path. They, mm. they seem to feel, you know, um, philosophically, yes. that we're better in love. Like, love lifts us up to where we belong. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, the last thing to say, to complete, I think, perfect way to complete our conversation is that... Um, the reason I like Stay Free so much is because I've pretty much lived that way. And even though I understood what they were saying, I understood what Nick was saying in the lyrics. In fact, just a little PS on that. I remember when I asked about what was the inspiration for the song, um, and, um, and Valerie said, well, you know, sometimes what Nick does is um, he goes away for a couple of days to just think about, you know, to come up with ideas, you know, just goes away and comes back with these song song ideas. And I think that's how that one began. Uh, but it really is about the, the I think also the, the, the tussle, so to speak, even within a relationship, people want to be able to feel like they have a sense of freedom. Um, and, and, and so, but for me, that's, that's been an anthem. However, I have to say that uh, of course, if you really listen to the words, it, it's basically, you know, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> you know, in other words, uh, they're laughing. See, we both got to sing today. They're laughing at the idea of independent. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> well, I think I think right. before before we get before we get given our own my classic soul um, whole full show of uh, of of doing our Sing rendition along. of Ashland and Simpson songs, we should say uh, a fond adieu and uh, and and thank you again. This is always great to talk to you, uh, Janine, and I think that. This is one of my favorite subjects, so I'm glad that we got a chance to uh, talk about the legacy of Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson uh, through their Warner Brothers years. 
Absolutely. It's been a pleasure and a joy. Thank you so much, David. You're welcome. Take care now. Bye. All right. Bye. And thank you, David and Janine. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and visit us for breaking news and daily updates about your favorite soul and R&B artists at soulmusic.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul.